The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. What's happening this week on your favorite soap operas? It's time to talk about all the daytime drama on Soap Central Live with Dan J. Kroll. Get ready for the latest soap news, scoops, recaps, and interviews with your favorite daytime stars. Now, here's Dan. <laughs> We're having some uh, post-Halloween technical glitches there. We'll work on that and try to figure out what that is for last uh, for next week. But as I was saying, guys, if you have any candy lying around from last night's haul, you may want to grab a few pieces because for the next hour, we are going to be talking about anything and everything soap. I hope that you did enjoy last week's special 200th episode celebration. It was so much fun taking a look back at some of our most memorable shows and guests from the past four years. I can't believe that it's been four years already. I think that the show was really a great representation of what we do here live each and every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. If you didn't miss that two-hour special, it is available in the archives now, so you can check it out at any time at SoapCentral.com slash radio. As I mentioned yesterday, it was Halloween. A little bit of a story here in these parts. Uh, I had to be a little inventive when it came to trick-or-treating. Last year, I ran out of candy about an hour into trick-or-treat, so this year I doubled my supply. I stocked up on about 10 pounds of candy, and of course, as luck would have it, nobody came to my front door. And the last thing I need is to be stuck with so much candy in the house. So what I did was I took my candy bowl and walked around the neighborhood looking for kids. Probably not the smartest idea to have some creepy man dressed like a bunny pirate wandering the streets of Philadelphia giving out candy. But my heart was in the right place. I guarantee it. And you are in the right place this week because for the next hour or so, it's all tricks. Right? Maybe it's all tricks. Maybe it's all treats with an actress who has become a huge fan favorite for playing the role of Dr. Liesel Olbrecht on General Hospital. Kathleen Gaddy will be here in just a moment. I know that folks have written in asking how you can speak to Kathleen today, so I want to make sure that I give you all the information at the top of the show. The phone lines are open right now, so give us a call toll-free at 866-472-5788. If for some reason you cannot call in because maybe you can't get a signal from your secret laboratory where being held, you can always join in the discussion on Twitter at Soap Central or on our official, official Facebook page, facebook.com slash soapcentral. There's a thread there going on during the live show. You can ask questions or make comments there, and I'll make sure that I pass them along on air. So let's get on to this week's show. For more than a year now, my guest this week has been playing the role of one of those soap characters that viewers seem to love to hate. Dr. Obrecht first looked like one bad lady, but now maybe she's just misunderstood. Aren't all soap characters just a little misunderstood? Kathleen Gotti is an award-winning actress who speaks something like seven different languages, and hopefully for the purposes of this interview, one of them is English. Kathleen, welcome to Soap Central Live. Good afternoon. Yes, it is I, Dr. Liesl Obrecht, today on Soap Central Live. So happy to be here. Mr. Crawler, please, you don't forget the clamps, no? 
<laughs> we can definitely not forget the clamps. Do not got- forget the clamps. No. <laughs> It'll be one of the highlights. Maybe we'll we'll do that during a commercial break. Kathleen, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your day, from time off from working, to come here and chat with us. I'm thrilled to be here, Dan. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, we're... One of the things that I like to do here before we really get into talking soap stuff is to get to know the guests a little better. So many people have a, an opportunity to see you almost every day on General Hospital, and they may not know Kathleen. They may sort of blur the lines and forget that you are not Dr. Obert. So <laughs> I don't let's... know. I'm just waking up going, hmm, I feel like Dr. Obert today. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Some days I wake up and feel like Dr. Obert. I'm not sure what that means, but... Every now and again. So let's rewind it all the way back to where we go. And you were, for folks who may not know this, you were born and raised in Canada by Hungarian immigrants. So you are not from the U.S. You are not from Hungary, even that's your your heritage. You're Canadian, I guess. Well, now I'm actually, I've I've been in the States so long, so I feel like I'm American. I lived in Europe, and my parents are Hungarian, so I feel like I'm Hungarian. And I'm, you know, born and raised in Canada, so I I have like a triple issue. I, I don't know where I belong well, I belong what, everywhere and nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, what does your passport say that you're from? I have three. Take your pick. <laughs> you have three? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I just have one, and I, I have to remember where I put it. How do you, you have three. Okay. I didn't know that that was possible. Yes. <laughs> but I, I've been here for years, and you know, I love the States and I love California. But I, did, I was born in Canada and grew up there, and my, my parents left during the revolution in Hungary and came to Canada in 1956. And settled in Montreal, and I grew up, I was born there and grew up there. And then, actually, when I was like nine, we moved to Victoria, British Columbia. And my father was a symphony conductor. My mother was an opera singer. I grew up in the arts. My sister's an artist in advertising. And I, I just grew up surrounded by music and theater and art. And, of course, when I was like two years old, I'm like, ah, I'm going to be this. You know, I'm going to be a dancer and an actress. My poor parents, they're like, oh, no. <laughs> I was unstoppable. I think I still am, but I was really even worse then. Do you think that you were destined to be involved in the arts? I mean, was there any pressure yes. from your parents? Oh, no. In fact, it was the opposite. They, they did everything they could to dissuade me to, to be in the arts. I, you know, it's really funny because when you're, they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but the truth is when you're brought up in a certain milieu, you are exposed to that. You are predestined, I think, almost to, to do that. So I heard the music and I wanted to dance. I wanted to play piano. My parents definitely didn't want us to be musicians. So we had just a few little, you know, lessons here and there, but basically they were like, no, 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 that's enough. And uh, the dance, just, I, I had no choice. It was like I needed to express myself with all these emotions. I'm like three, four years old. I'm going, I want to dance. I want to act. And my parents are like, how do we stop this? And they, they really couldn't. Actually, I, I think it's kind of funny. My mother said when I was born, I was just dying to come out. And, and the nurse said to my mother, don't push, don't push. And my mom's <laughs> like, I can't help it. The kid wants to come out. So I think it's always been my personality, just pushing forward and just reaching for things and doing things. And, and I think with the acting, it's, I've, I've found my home. I'm able to express all those crazy emotions that are running through my head, and I don't have to dump them on my poor husband. He's like, no, don't bring that home. No, no, no. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you mentioned dancing at, at such a, an early age and talking about the, the need to express yourself. I'd have to think that at three or four, or how, I forget how old you said that you were, that you don't have the vocabulary, you don't have the, right. the oral the skills to be able to do that. So maybe it sort of makes sense that dance would be the, the tool which, which you would want to express yourself because you don't need to be able to really know 
anything to be able it's, to express it by dance. It's true. Actually, the truth is when I was three, I, I saw an, an old recording of um, on television, Giselle danced by the, uh, the Bolshoi Ballet, and Galina Ulanova danced the lead role of Giselle. And I was three, and I was smitten. And that's when I said, I, I just wanted to dance. And my father always had the music, you know, he was conducting and rehearsing and practicing at home. And I would flit around the house and dance. And so I started taking lessons on and off for years and years and years. And then I, when I really became serious in my teens, I just, you know, focused on that like crazy. But really the dance, it was a way, I didn't know about acting as much. I did some acting in school. In, I wrote a play when I was eight. I made the whole school watch it. I wrote it, I directed it, I produced it, I started it. But, you know, I didn't know enough about so much theater. I knew more about dance. And I thought, I'm always going to be a dancer because that was my, that dr- I was driven by that. And then when I learned more and more about acting, I felt, oh, with words, I can express those same emotions. Because the dance is limited. You only can dance for so many years. And I had an injury when mm-hmm. I was 18. So I think God said, Kathleen, I think you need to stop this and move into acting. So, I, you know, I shifted gears. But, but that was my initial passion. And and then I later I did modeling and singing and acting and you know so all kinds of things but it was all a matter a way to express myself and now it's much more than that I think it's it's interesting to hear certain things about you know certainly with the limited career that one may be able to have as a dancer and, and uh, for folks who maybe don't get dance you'd mentioned that your mother was an opera singer and I can't help every time I hear of of opera I think of uh, a line from a pretty Woman, where it's something like uh, people's reactions to opera the first time they see it is, is very dramatic. They either love it or they hate it. Right. Uh, if they love it, they'll always love it. If they hate it, they may come to like it, but they'll never fully appreciate it. It seems to me nowadays in 2013, I worry that it, I'm not necessarily a, an opera fan per se. I like the, the quote says, I appreciate it. I worry that it's going away that maybe newer audiences, younger audiences aren't being exposed to opera to be able to appreciate it for the form that it is. Is that something that you think that you uh, can agree with? You know, I think the arts in general, I don't think they're as much presented in the schools and at home as they used to. I think part of the problem is that it's not available. It's not, I, I think one of the things that's fantastic is when you're a kid, the more things you're exposed to, the more, the more culture, the different, you know, visual arts, performing arts, music, all kinds of things that you can be exposed to will stimulate you. If you don't get that exposure, you don't know what that is. It's like food. You know, you try different things, but if you're not exposed to them and you're older, you're going, ooh, what is that? So I think, and it's an inquisitive mind, I I think the best thing would be to offer these things in school. That's what I love about Europe. They really are used to. I don't know what they do now with the different political situations and the financial, you know, economic structures for, for that but um, they used to offer so much in, in the schools, and so the kids would become artists and, and, and painters, you know, visual artists and performing artists. They, they would get it from a young age. Here, I don't know if that's enough exposed. So older people, when we're older, and it's like opera. What is that? You know, it's like a foreign thing, like symphony. My father wanted to bring music to the masses, so he would do summer concerts. Besides the, you know, people had their series tickets, and they would get all elegantly dressed up, and that was beautiful. But then he wanted to bring music to people who couldn't afford it. And so he would do these great outdoor summer concerts, and people would just sit outside, and they were like, wow, classical music. I didn't even know it was this beautiful. And they also had opera, and people would sing. And it was, it was wonderful. So I always I kind of think like he does, that you know, to bring it to the masses, and people can really enjoy it. And especially children, they just, we're just so, you know, when you're a kid, you're like a sponge, and you're open to everything. Mm-hmm. 
They do that in Philadelphia around the 4th of July. They, they sneak in some classical and some <laughs> opera and things like that. So, and you don't realize, like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, that's <laughs> I'm, great. I'm enjoying this. It's sort of, it really is a nice way to be able to expose new audiences. And certainly when you're younger, you are able, like you said, you're a sponge. You're able to pick up things more. Right. So one of the questions that we have from someone on Twitter from uh, Elizabeth Rankowski, Liz793698, wants to know, how did you find the pace of daytime when you first joined it with all of the memorization of lines? Was it hard for you to get used to that in the very beginning? It still is. Elizabeth, <laughs> thank you for your question. And yes, it's still. You know what? It's a whole different animal. I've, I've worked on soaps before, and um, I was in All My Children for a while back in 8990, and I've done some guest roles in, in New York on different shows in Other World and, and things and like that. So I've done some sampling, but now that it's pretty intense schedule and things, I've, this is phenomenal. I mean, I do a lot of prime time, and you have a week, and you have to study. You know, you get time to study, and the information and lines to gel, and here it's like you have a few minutes. <laughs> well, you have a couple of days, but it's, <laughs> sometimes you don't. Sometimes the next day you show up, and they're like, okay, you know the stuff we're going to do later this week? We're going to do it today. And you're like, what? So it's very intense. It's, it's, it's a pace that it's, it's huge. I mean, I, I'm... I spend every spare minute I can preparing and studying because for me it's not just learning lines. It's so much more. You know, I also have the accent that I layer on, but, it, but it's each, each moment, this character that I have it has such a range. She's campy, she's cuckoo, she's funny, she's pathetic, she's sad, she's ugly, she's pretty. I mean, there's just so much to give, and each moment has to be thought out, and sometimes there isn't enough time to really give it all the focus that I'd like. You know, so, so, I mean, I try to do the best I can with the time that I have, but there's so much more than just learning the lines and showing up. I mean, it just, everyone has to just really put in their heart into the character. You know, you know your character, but the writers keep surprising me with all kinds of fun things. I'm like, oh, okay, this way, this, now I'll have to take this in this direction or that direction. So there's a lot of thought process besides memorizing. And for folks who are listening, in addition to the, of course, General Hospital and some of the other TV programs that you've mentioned, you've also done film work, particularly some award-winning film work. Uh, I'm hoping that my pronunciation on these will be <laughs> correct. So you will let me know as you are the expert. 1992 Hungarian Film Critics Award as Best Supporting Actress for Goldberg Variatsiuk? Variations. In English, it's, it was called Goldberg Variations. Variatsiuk, yes. And yeah. we have 1993, uh, one of the final 35 films selected for the best foreign film entry to the Academy Awards. A 1995 Hungarian... We Never Die. That was, yeah, a comedy. 19, a comedy, okay. It was a comedy, but it was about a young boy coming of age in Eastern Europe. It, and, but it was very topical. Just, I mean, everyone, it, it's kind of a subject that everyone can relate to. 1995, Hungarian Film Week documentary winner for the English translation is The Actress and the Death. It looks to be a Sinesnu Isha Halal. That's the Hungarian, The Actress and the Death. It's in the Sinesnu Isha Halal, that's in Hungarian, yes. Uh, which was a documentary. Can you, would you uh, like to tell us a little bit about that? Um, yes, that's actually very close to my heart. My mother passed away in 91. I spent the last six and a half months with her. And um, it's a story about being with someone. Actually, it's a documentary based on a series of interviews with me talking about the whole experience and how beautiful it was to be with her and how... I'm getting emotional here, but, you know, how, how you accompany someone to, to the next place, to 
the next level of their life where they, they pass on. And it's, I didn't want to do it. My, actually, my ex directed it, uh, Gabe Ondetri. He wanted to do this for years, and I said, no, 91. He said, people will, it will help people understand how to cope with death. And I said, I refused. I said, I just went through this painful experience, and it took me years. I mean, even now it's been 23, 22 years, and it's, it's such a, my mother was this beautiful woman, and loving and kind. It was, I was very close to her. So each, it was very hard to talk about it. But he said, believe me, it'll help people. So finally, anyway, after three years, I said, fine. We, and we, we did this film. And to this day, actually, in Hungary, they play it every, on the Day of the Dead. In fact, today, November 1st, is the day that it airs there. And mm. it's been playing for 22 years. It ran for like three years in the theater nonstop. And wow. uh, people, I still get emails and letters and people say, thank you for the film. It helped me with my mother, my father or whoever, my husband or something. And, and so I'm, you know, I'm grateful made that film to help people. But it was, a, it was a very hard film to do and to relive and re-talk about the, the entire experience. And there was a lot of beautiful moments in it, very painful moments. And, you know, it's hard to lose somebody. It really is. But when we share it, it feels like when you share an experience with somebody else, it seems to help. So that was a, a very special film. It's very close to my heart. Do you happen to know if there, uh, the film exists with English subtitles that folks maybe now who know you in the U.S. would be able to watch it? I don't know. I, I don't believe they've done that. I always you know, wish they would because so many people have asked for it, but it's, it's not my film. And uh, gotcha. I, you know, maybe one day they will. I keep asking them to do it. So I don't know. And if that weren't enough, there's also another award. Uh, I believe it's a 2011 Best yeah. Actor uh, for the Los Angeles Hungarian Film Festival for the movie called... Retrace. Retrace. Retrace, yeah. I don't have the Hungarian name handy. Visatirs. So That's okay. It's called Visatirs. That was actually a, a really beautiful story about a woman who goes back to her roots. It was sort of based on the Eli Weisel, who, his story when he went back... Um, to look for his his roots, and he finds a watch that was buried that was his father's. And this story was based on on a couple of different. The director who um, Alec Judith who directed it, she based it on a couple of different stories and and her own personal story of a woman who goes back to Eastern Europe to retrace her steps and and find the family memories and finds her a doll that she had buried in the in the ground when they came to take the family away and she hid it and she you know it's like 30 years later it was a very moving very beautiful story there are so many people now it seems the trend is growing for people to really know more about their their past their ancestors to you know find links to see where where their family came from yeah uh, we're all in uh, the past i think you know it's it's nice, and I, I like the fact that with that, too, a lot of people are also trying to find out their similarities to other people, rather than for so many years where it seems that uh, the, the, the goal of people was to find the differences in people and maybe ostracize them for that. Now we're, we seem to slowly be trending towards a society where we realize that we're more alike than we are different, hopefully. I know. It's, it's actually funny. It just made me think of when I was a little kid and, and in my, my school, in elementary school, grade two or three, there were five Cathy's and a group of ten girls. And I felt like we must be related. I was so <laughs> excited. I was like, oh, they're all Cathy's, you know. <laughs> but, but it's interesting what you say, because I went uh, to Hungary in um, 92, just for a couple of months to do a film, the one that I won the Best Supporting Actress for. And um, 
I, I just loved it. I stayed there. And my parents, you know, it was kind of, it was very emotional to know that my parents had to leave because of the revolution and, and so many people had, had died around them and then they just saw this trauma and they had to leave. And so it was a very painful experience for them. And here I was, and I, I was there in 89 when the wall came down, actually. I was there visiting in 89-90 before I, I went there in 92. And I stood in the same square where they had been when the revolution started in, in 56. And here I was 35 years later in the square where it finished, you know, and where it, and freedom happened and the wall came down. And it was just so moving and so poignant to me to experience that. And I had a fantastic experience there. My father said, okay, sweetheart, you know, I was there for, I went for two months but stayed for six years. And I worked there a lot and it was just a beautiful experience. But my dad said, you know what, just keep a little, your, your bag packed. You never know. And it's so interesting, the different mentality. For me, it was like this huge gift. I had this incredible experience with tons of film and television that was awarded and, and well-received and loved by a whole country, 11 million people, 10.5 million people. And they just adopted me and loved my work, and I felt appreciated and respected. And I, I, and I was home. I really felt at home. And it was so interesting, you know, that my parents had to leave because of the, the trauma they experienced, the revolution, and then politically and all the stuff. So it was, it's so interesting. But I felt the connection because I am, I am and I was looking for my roots. When you said, where are you from, Canada, Hungary, you know, the States, I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I've always been looking for my roots, and I always look for a connection to people and to things that mean something. Like I said, like you said, you know, I think everyone does. They belong. Where do they belong? Where do we belong? We're all, this is a melding pot. You know, America's a melting pot of people from all over the world, Canada, North America, you know, whether you're from Canada or the States, we're all from somewhere. All our ancestors are from Holland or Germany or, you know, Europe or Asia or something. I think no one's from actually from here. Hello? You may not, uh, sorry about that, you may not be... Uh, from here, we may not all be from here, but one thing that I've noticed is that General Hospital fans have now claimed you as one of their own. Yes, they they've adopted you. <laughs> <laughs> and we have, at least for right now, we have uh, one person who may be celebrating a Red Sox win. We have a caller, John from Boston, who'd like to talk to you a little bit about. <laughs> Definitely celebrating. Boston Good. strong and go Red Sox. Dan and Kathleen, how are you doing tonight? Hi, congratulations I to you guys. Thank great. you Thanks, so much. John. Kathleen, I don't know where to begin. I actually, I lost my train of thought for a moment when you started giving that story about standing in the square and the whole feeling of freedom, and, and that was just that was just such a poignant story. Mm. And I thank you for sharing that with us. I have been a viewer of GH since 1963. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, I have to tell you that you are one of the most welcome additions. To the show that oh, I have you. seen in all those years. I'm at the point now where if it's a day when Obrecht isn't going to be on, I feel cheated. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> Thank and you. The strange part about it is the way that the character has been written and constructed, uh, you would think that no one would want to root for that character. Right. And yet right. I find myself absolutely rooting for her. And I, 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 I guess that's, that's a tribute and a testimony to both you and also to Ron's writing because it's just you wouldn't think that any viewer would want to root for a character that has done such dastardly deeds. I agree. 
In fact, me, you know, I'm, I'm reading the script going, oh, she's nasty. Oh, she's mean. Oh, wait, I have to say these lines, you know. <laughs> but then I get like a clonk on the head as it's written, you know, or banged on the head or a funny line where I'm totally goofy or I've made a major mistake. You know, I, oops, I didn't, you know, kill Anna. I, I, I got Luke instead. And then I feel that it's funny and I'm, there's a redeeming quality. And so people can go, well, okay, she's not that bad or she didn't, she didn't get him this time or didn't get her that time. So I think it's, there's so much humor that the writers give me. I'm so grateful for that. It offsets the evilness. If I were only evil, the character, I think everyone would, would say, okay, you know, it's time to kill her. I think Absolutely. because they give me so much humor, which I'm just so grateful for. I love doing the humor because it's like, phew. So I get clonked on the hand going, yeah, I deserve that for sure. Thank you. <laughs> my, my Before we let favorite. you go, John. Before I, I just, let you go, do you have a do you have a favorite Obrechtism? A favorite oh, absolutely. Line? Well, no Obrechtism, but my favorite Obrecht moments, and I just want to mention them quickly, was sure. during the nurse's ball when they cut to her room and she was doing <laughs> oh, the dance. Yeah. I, I love that. that. I was up on. T- I stood up from the sofa. I was just so excited. <laughs> and the other one definitely was when you sang. That moment when you sang in uh, in the scene the where bar. you were trying to get that into her drink, it was just incredible. Oh, that was that, well. John and John and Kathleen, hold on for one second. We have Mm -hmm. a little bit of a clip that may give you uh, a little idea of what John was talking about. Let's take a listen. Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Is that the clip, John, that you were talking about? It sure is. And I remember it. I kept it on my DVR. That's a keeper. That's not getting deleted ever. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. And my very best to you both. Thank you so much. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for calling in, John. So when you get a script, Kathleen, and you see, okay, I'm going to be singing karaoke on General Hospital. What goes through your mind? Is there abject horror or is it, woohoo, this could be fun? You know, it's so funny because every time I get a script, I'm kind of trepidation, like, uh-oh, what do I get to do now? You know, <laughs> I'm very excited. I'm very scared. I'm like, okay, what, what's going to come up? But most of the time I'm really excited because the writing is just so good. And I, I'm, I'm actually really thrilled. I'm going, okay, what's, what are the tidbits I get in this one? Because they've given me some great, funny things. So I actually didn't have the script for the karaoke, but I was told I would be singing. And I was like, I'm going to be singing? I haven't sung in years. I can't sing. It's been so long. I have to warm up my voice. What am I going to, you know, I just went through this whole thing. And they said karaoke, and I went, karaoke? Oh, my God, I would never do karaoke, you know. <laughs> so, yes, I did have, definitely had some panic with that. But I had, I had some time to work on the song, and then... I didn't know how that was going to go down. Would I be singing at the at the bar? Would I be just singing to myself, you know, so people don't recognize me? How did I know? I'm going to have a blonde wig, sunglasses, and breathing down Anna's neck with some propofol in my hand going, drink it, drink it. You know, I mean, who, it was just hysterical when I actually got the script. Because I, as I said, I got the song first. When the two came together, I was just going, oh, my God, this is brilliant. And it's hysterical. It was just one of the funniest things I'd ever filmed. Oh, it was. And, of course, John talked also about the uh, dancing moment oh, to yeah. the, the Pointer Sisters jump that oh. uh, Epiphany Sonia Eddy was singing during the Nurses Ball. That was also 
absolutely one of those just funny, random, where did this come from moments that have to be saved on the DVR. You know what? That's the first time I think I really, Obrecht got to live it up, you know, to let let loose a little bit. Because up to then I'd been, the character was very, I keep saying I, she, we, I don't know who it is. But, you know, the character, Obrecht had to be very uptight and tense and nasty. And all of a sudden, all right, baby, let's wiggle the hips and move around. (laughs) So much fun. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. So there may be folks who are listening who are not like John and others who've been watching General Hospital for a long time. They may be, you know, tuned in just to hear what we're going to be talking about today. So I'd like to give you, Kathleen, an opportunity to describe a little bit what is your take? Who is Dr. Obrecht? How would you describe her to someone? You know, it's so, so funny because you always say, and people always say, oh, she's misunderstood. I, I think that's a big part of it, but it's a woman who, who is, has been very troubled. You know, she's hurt. She was in love with this is in love or was in love with this mad scientist or other madman and totally crazy about him. They had a child, and she's a very educated, very intelligent, very sharp, nothing gets past her, quick, you know, a few little mistakes here and there, killing the wrong person or trying to kill the wrong person. But otherwise, it's very, somebody's very bright, very quick, very sharp, and her one Achilles heel thing is, is this man she's been in love with, Faison, Cesar Faison. And they have a child about 28, 30 years ago. And um, she's troubled. And, and she, she is doing everything she can to get him back. Because he, he fell in love with Anna along the way and totally dissed, dissed Dr. Obrecht, Liesl. So she's just forging on her way, forging on her path. She had a daughter, Britta, Brit uh, Westbourne, call her Britta, and, and raising her. And then she's angry with her because she, she had this child, but she, she didn't really want the child. She just had a child for him. And she's doing everything she can in her power to, to get him and keep him. And anything that's in her way, whether it's Anna Devane, Luke Spencer, anybody, she tries to obliterate to get to him. And to get him back, and it's very difficult for her to get him back, but she, she does everything she can. And I think that there was a time when I think she just gave up. This, sometimes I think she gives up, sometimes she forges on. But she's extremely bright, very sharp, very quick. And then there's all these great funny things that happen to her that keeps her human and real and down-to-earth and crazy and goofy and campy. She's a very campy character, too, besides being very serious. and very. There's a lot of pathos to the character and a lot of campy fun. So I, I hope that explains somewhat some of it. I, and she has this relationship with her daughter who it's good and it's bad. I mean, she loves the daughter, but she doesn't know how to show love to anything or anybody. It's a very awkward thing. I don't know if you had a chance or if you saw the last week where I was trying to seduce him. I give him, I give him this baby, this, this mm-hmm. grandson, my daughter's son, and I'm, I'm giving it to him to get him back. I'm, it's a trap to get him and... I'm trying to seduce him. He, I don't even know how. You know, it's like, well, what do I do? But even the moves, everything's awkward about her. She doesn't, even though she thinks love and feels love and wants to have love, I don't think she knows the first thing about it. It's more of a, an, a crazed obsession than, than genuine love. So maybe one day she'll have real love. I'm hoping for her she'll get real love one day. 
I would actually like that as well. I think that that would be that would be kind of a lot of fun to see how that plays out. We you mentioned some of the the stuff that played out last week or so. We do have a clip of that that we'll play in a moment. But for folks out there who would like a chance to talk to Kathleen Gotti, you can call in. It's eight six six four seven two five seven eight eight. Again, it's eight six six four seven two five seven eight eight. You can give us a call. But in the meantime, Kathleen, we are going to take a listen to a little bit longer of a clip that has. Two of my most favorite Obrechtisms, and we'll talk about them after the clip. So let's take a listen. Cesar, did you hear me? Yes, of course I heard you. I'm standing five feet away. I'm waiting for you. I've been waiting for a long time. Come to bed. Well, I'm not tired. I said nothing about sleeping. Be one with me. I can't make you happy. Happiness is for dogs and Americans. I desire allegiance. Is it really so much to ask? Especially after I have given you so much and still I have so much more to give. Grant me one request. The cramps? Let me ask. Bear it. Kathleen, it was in that moment that I felt so bad for Dr. Obricht. I thought, wow, you know, this, is, this is really, really sad. She's hopelessly in love for someone who will never love her back. Is that, was that your take in the scene? Or, I mean, there's so many more layers to it, I feel. You know, I, it's, it, it's such a good question. I, I don't think she's in love. I, again, I don't think she knows what love is yet. But she's obsessed. She's been obsessed for 30 years, and this obsession continues. So she's trying to get him and, and wants him, but um, I, I just think it's very awkward, and I don't think that that's what she's, you know, that's the whole thing she's going for. But, but there is a funny moment in it. It's very sad. It's very dark. It's very sad. It's very painful. And she's giving it her all. She hasn't had a chance to seduce him in a long time, and he's been in jail, and he's out, and here's an opportunity, and... It's very sad, and, and he's ignoring her, and she's trying with all this awkward movement and seduction, and he's just like, of course, I hear you. I'm five feet away. I can hear you, but I don't want you. She's like, but I want you. I want you. And, and then in the middle of all that pain, saying, the clamps, I mean, it was hysterical. I, I, it was, you know, the two, I'm not sure I'm answering your question, but the, the two juxtaposed, the incredible depths of pain, desire, want, the total rejection, and then he goes, grant me one wish. And I'm like, the clamps? Like, I'll do anything. What? You know, it, it just, it was hysterical and, and extremely pathetic. And I'm assuming that was written as is. That was not ad-libbed. Oh, no. No, no. <laughs> I, I don't need to ad-lib here because these writers are brilliant. There's nothing that needs ad-libbing. And if I did, I'd probably destroy their fantastic writing. So, no. This is and pure, all, brilliant, yes. genius <laughs> writing on the writer's part. And, and even the, the the quip of happiness is for dogs and Americans, it was actually ended up being a, a title for one of our commentaries on SoapCentral.com. But that just, it tickled me. In the moment of, like yeah. you said, there's so much sadness, that was funny to me. Well, that's what I, I loved. I mean, in the middle of all this depth, I mean, this crazy life, happiness is for dogs and Americans. She brushes, this, she keeps brushing aside all, anything he's like, he negates. She's like, doesn't matter. She keeps forges on. She's unstoppable until... He stops her with a mask, and it's like, okay, that's, that's her breaking point. It's like, that's enough. No, no more. And I think, that was, I think that's a turning point for her, the mask. I mean, there's still some 
still some obsession, still trying to get him, but I think that really did it for her. I, I think that was a major turning point for her. There are so many layers that have sort of been exposed. There are so many angles and aspects of this character now. When you started the show, I guess it was what, August of, of 2012, right. did you expect any of this? Did you think that this was just going to be a... a quick in and out? Did you ever expect to become part of the fabric of General Hospital? No, I, I didn't. I had two days. I came in as a nurse to, or as a doctor to bring in Luke Spencer, take Robin, move her, I think, from one room to the next, and then introduce Duke. Well, it was Faison in the Duke mask. And that was it. I had these two episodes and it was like, it was so gritty and meaty already. I was like, oh, these are great, you know, great character. But because I knew it was two episodes, I just came in, did the two episodes, best I could, and went home. And uh, it was really fun to get a call and come in and do just a couple more. Like, you know, I think I had three more. It's like, oh, fun. Then I think I moved Robin again. You know, it was, it was just kind of, and then slowly <laughs> built from that. And it was so great because I started with Tony Geary and mm-hmm. uh, Finola Hughes. It was such a great way to start. And I was, I was smitten by them, and it was such a pleasure to work with them and you know, I'm very grateful. It's just, it's just evolved into this really, the character has evolved. It's not just, you know, working, because I work a lot on different shows, and I recur on different shows, and I do mo- movies, and I work in Canada, I work in Europe. So I, I work a lot, but this was such a great character, and the writing was so good, and it's not just a one-dimensional character. She's so well-rounded, like we said before. I mean, there's, there's pain. I loved, I don't, if they need a crier, usually they bring me in. If they need an accent or they need someone to cry, call Kathleen Gaddy. But this character has so much more. There's so much more depth to her and, and the humor and the campiness. It's broad and the writing is brilliant. It's, it's a pleasure to do the material. Like you ask me about the material, every time I get a script, I'm not so much scared, I'm, I'm really excited. You know, the singing scared me, but, but I'm really excited because it's just so clever. So it's really You mentioned something. accents. I'm looking at your list of can-dos, <laughs> and we have, I mean, there, there are so many. So if you would just humor me and probably the listeners at home, uh, I'm going to read off a couple of these, and we'll see how it goes. And perhaps if uh, Dr. Obrecht was French, how do you think that she would sound? Uh, well, uh, the, you know, Dr. Obrecht is a French lady, and uh, she would be very uptight, probably, and... Uh, but perhaps she would be a little more sexual than the German Dr. Obrecht, so she would she would uh, not be so scared of, of her own sexuality, I think. But uh, Dr. You know, I'm looking <laughs> back into German Dr. <laughs> the French lady, no, no, s'il vous plaît, no. Qu'est-ce que vous voulez, monsieur, le docteur est dans la maison. And we have an English accent. Oh, yes. Well, you know, I, I, it was really funny because Frank Valentini, the executive producer, he said to me, you know, you're going to be playing Anna. And I said, I'm sorry. He said, yes, you'll be, you'll be portraying Finola Hughes. I was like, oh, well, I certainly will have to practice her accent and her tone and everything. And then turned and I went, oh, no, really? Are you kidding me? So it was, it was a very interesting process to find out that really she was going to be portraying me. And it was actually a great seed trying to figure out how that was going to work out and with the mask yet yet another mask there is a an anna mask there is oh. a, a duke mask um, we're loving these masks on general hospital and you know what they are so good i mean they're so good to the point joe blasco did the mask there the duke mask and this one and 
the animask they are so good that people i can't tell you how many people have written to me tweeted to me at gaddy tweets you know on on twitter and on facebook and said wow was that mask sticky what was it like wearing it and i'm going seriously i mean <laughs> it's you know technology is good but um that was actually Finola Hughes playing her, me playing her kind of thing. So, but it was it was fantastic. I mean, the masks are just brilliant. But they weren't. It was really her. It was really Finola doing most of that. But even it, technically, the sound how they switched our voices. It was brilliant. Very well. It, done. it really was. I mean, it, yeah. To me, it looks the masks were, were really kind of creepy. Particularly the Duke mask. It looks like they must have spent a whole lot of money on the mask. I mean, we're not going to discuss whether they did or didn't. It just. I mean, they they looked professional they looked yeah. as though they certainly uh you know didn't skimp on that so one other one that i think could be interesting dr obrecht has decided that she needs a simpler way of life she's moved to a suburb of atlanta perhaps and now she's <laughs> sipping mint juleps on the veranda how would she sound if she was a southern belle oh oh you're embarrassing me. Oh, I, I don't know. I'd probably be drunk out of my mind, and I'd be sitting there sitting my brains out and having one after another and picking up some nice gentlemen or not, you know? I think that would be really, really nice. <laughs> that actually sounds a little bit like Kathy Bates on the uh, new season of American oh. uh, Horror Story. <laughs> it's kind of creepy. That was a little, uh, a little interesting. So that's just some fun out there for those of you who are wondering, oh. you know. What the what the traveler world traveler Dr. Obrick might sound like. Uh, so for and and for those which, who are actually from those places, I apologize. <laughs> but it isn't just that. I mentioned at the top of the show, you are a, a master of many languages: English, Hungarian, Russian, French, Spanish, a little bit of German, a little bit of Italian. Are there any languages that you would like to learn that aren't on that list? Oh, lots of languages. I was in Japan at, uh, over the holidays at Christmas, and oh, Japanese is just beautiful. There are a lot of languages. I mean, every language has its charm and beauty, and I've always been fascinated. I think because I grew up in an Eastern European home, you know, listening. So we spoke Hungarian as a kid, and so I'm always fascinated when I hear somebody's accent, again, trying to find your roots. I hear somebody with an accent speaking, and I go, oh, I listen, my ears perk up. And you're from Hungary? And they're like... Why, why, you, why you think I am from Hungary? Why am I going, because you sound like my mother. Or, you know, you sound like my father. And it's so cute. It's, it's that looking for that connection that, you know, people speak Hungarian. I think we must be related. So I, I've always loved languages. And I, when I was studying to be a ballerina, my mother said, and I wanted to be with a Bolshoi. That was my big dream. She said, well, honey, if you want to dance in Russia with a Bolshoi, you better study Russian. Thank God she encouraged me to study Russian because I went to university. I did. I studied for a couple of years while I was studying acting and dancing and modeling and singing. And that, doing the Russian, you know, the Russian has helped me with getting lots of work. Actually, I do a lot of roles with the Russian. But the Russian accent isn't because you speak Russian. I mean, it's a whole different thing. But speaking, you know, the Russian has, has opened a lot of doors. And, and the accents I just love because making fun of my parents for years and years sort of paid off. You know, my, my my poor mother was always, like, making fun of her. What what you want for dinner, Kathy? And I was like, Mom, well, I don't know, Mommy, what I want. And she was like, don't make fun of my accent. So, I mean, it was so much fun. But that, again, I do a lot of accents because of all the years of, you know, making fun of that. And then I, I studied French and Spanish in school and just learned them. So I think when you have a language or two in your ear, you learn a lot. So which ones do I like? I don't know. I like them all. And it's a long-winded answer, but I like them all. 
No, no, not not long-winded at all. It's you know we certainly see during the airings of General Hospital and other soaps, we see ads for things like the Rosetta Stone, where they want us to learn languages right. quickly and easily. And I know English, I know uh, French enough to be able to probably carry on a conversation, at least read it. I've picked up oddly enough, oddly enough, I've picked up some Chinese. Uh, <gasps> really. Don't ask. They have, uh, I guess because of budget concerns, they can only have but so many teachers here in the Philadelphia School District. So they broadcast some of their language courses on the Philadelphia School District channel. So I'm just you know, sitting and having it on and, and sort of in fascination and then have learned different words where I can go somewhere and say, you know, oh, we're sure Shahoyuhan, or we're sure Megwaren, like wow. all these little weird random things that would probably never come in handy outside of being able to say, hi, I'm an American, <laughs> you know, I'm tall, I have brown hair. That's about all I can say, but it helps, I think. Oh, no, I love that. And I, I love when you travel and you can speak even just a few sentences to somebody in their language. They are so happy. It's like, wow, somebody's, you know, trying to speak my language I think I think it's really it just makes the world smaller and more intimate and you can connect to people I love that ability to connect so the more languages I can speak or even just you know communicate a little bit it's wonderful it's it's such a great thing I think particularly for Americans we have a tendency to uh, maybe get a bad rap elsewhere where we you know go everywhere and seem that we should everyone should speak English along with us. I do think that you're right. When you go places, even if you're not saying the words correctly or properly, right. as long as you see that there's an effort. You know, exactly. if you're butchering French, they're like, hey, you know, we know we'll we'll try to speak in English to you because at least you've made the effort to try to uh try to converse with us in whatever language we're speaking natively. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I and I think people are really touched by that. Although, we, although I remember one time in Hungary I have an accent when I speak in Hungarian, being brought up in North American. I remember this cab driver, he was laughing at my accent, and he was speaking Hungarian. He goes, oh, you speak so, you know, with an accent in Hungarian. I was like, but at least I speak Hungarian. But he, and I said, how's your English? <laughs> you want to try a little English? Let's see if you have an accent in English. Mm-hmm, let's hear it. <laughs> he didn't even know any English. I was like, okay, I rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> so, see, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it, it is a lot of fun to... Uh, to watch people, at least for me, one of the draws of watching telenovelas, I don't really speak much Spanish outside of, uh, you know, the, the stuff that right. they teach you in third grade. <laughs> However, it's fascinating to watch a telenovelas and watch them to Absolutely. really speak in their native language and try to figure out what on earth are they saying. But I know, but you just look at them, yo te quiero, no te quiero más, no, 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 dame. Oh, you know, it's like, it's so funny just to watch them and listen. It's, it's adorable because you, you really can tell just from their faces and stuff. And I think the soap, you know, the soap world, I think it's, it's similar. I mean, isn't a telenovela basically a, a soap in Spanish? Isn't it the same thing? Pretty it's much. I mean, close. yeah, with a couple of different minor little differences. But, yeah, I mean, they're, they're essentially the same thing. But I don't know. I sometimes, maybe I'll need to go back to a recent GH episode that I've watched, push the mute button, and see if I can do the same thing that I would if they were speaking in Spanish. Right, right. It's, it's interesting. One of my teachers, one of my favorite teachers I studied with in New York, Robert Ravan, he was blind. And he couldn't see us, but he could hear and he could tell if we were phony or not. And he would say, oh, you know, you know you're, you're acting, you're acting phony. Give me, give me real, give me honest. And then he would do exercises with us where he said, okay, don't use your mouth. Don't talk. Just say everything with your eyes or with your body. Just talk. Mm. Do the whole scene with your shoulders. You know, sitting and you ha- couldn't move, but you did everything with your shoulders or just looking with your eyes and no talking whatsoever. It was fantastic. Oh, wow. It was really... 
it's very interesting because a lot of times words carry us. I'm all, sometimes I'm just so much happier when I don't have a lot of dialogue, but I can just express feelings. Sometimes I feel words get in the way. And sometimes I just want to express myself with a look or with an emotion as opposed to blah, 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 blah. You know, so sometimes it's just exponential information to help the story, and you have to, obviously. But sometimes it would be, I love films where it's just simple, and sometimes it's just a couple of lines, and it's a lot of looking and feeling and expressing. That's, you know. But I'm also, I mean, as Obrecht, she blabbers away, and there's so much fun sometimes, <laughs> you know, or, or dancing or singing or something. So it doesn't, you know. But I, I love those moments where you really can pause and just, look and feel and express that to the audience. And well, there I, is a question from Christy who is speaking. It sort of goes off to that, uh, you know, being able to convey so many different emotions. She's wondering, is there a role in your career that you've played that you think is the most opposite of Dr. Obrick? Oh, I've, I've done actually lots of roles that are, you know, the gentle, calm, kind um, mothers, yeah, I, practically everything. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just thinking of which particular film. I, the film I did retrace with this woman who's retracing her steps. It's a really gentle, kind woman. Um, I was in the in the pilot Arrow, and I played this really, really kind, really caring woman for um, Steve Amos, the, the lead character's role, and just very, you know, very caring, very warm. This woman is strong. I don't know if, if Obrecht has any any warmth. <laughs> she probably has some warmth. You have to dig really deep, I think. But um, I think a lot a lot of the roles that I've done have been very gentle, and and calm and very kind. I was in um, anyway, so I, I don't know if that helps. But in Arrow, that's the kind of role I'm thinking. Also, I have a recurring role on Alphas as the mother of Azita Ganizada. She's one of the leads on the show, and it's Iranian mother, and she's she's also very kind, very loving, but. Um, Hmm. I don't know. I've done a lot of some tough things too, so it's interesting. I don't know. Each role is different, so I've done I've done a range. Well, with a role with a role like Dr. Obrecht, and certainly she has a a certain presence. She has a certain response that uh, viewers will receive. Have you had any fan encounters from people who've recognized you from your role on General Hospital? Yes, I have actually, and. Even today, I went to the gym this morning, and this woman, she goes, you know, I've seen you here at the gym and for years. And she goes, I, you know, I've seen you, and I know you, and I've seen you in things, but you're doing a great job as Dr. Obrecht. She goes, my husband's been watching the show 30 years. I just started watching. My daughter watches, and we just love you. And I was like, oh, thank you. That was really sweet. You know, and they're like, that just seems doesn't seem like you, because I got my hair up in a ponytail. I don't have makeup on. I'm jumping around like a, you know, in cardio class, just jumping and kicking butt. And uh, it's not the same person as Dr. Obrecht. Who's, you know. But it's, it's been very nice. I mean, I do get recognized a lot, and, and it's very kind. And people have, have just been so wonderful. I go to the grocery store, Ralph, and the woman there at the cashier, and she was like, do you, do you watch General Hospital? I'm like, I know where this is going. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm like, you look a lot like I'm like, mm, yeah, I'm her. And I actually have some sorry. <laughs> but it's, it's very nice, and it's very touching. And at the fan club, the General Hospital fan club weekend in July, here in Los Angeles, the people were just warm and kind and loving. And it really took me back to my time in Hungary, which, which is such a strong uh, memory for me because I was so well appreciated and loved and, and respected there as an artist. I think in, in L.A. and in the States, working in New York and in, and in Los Angeles, 
it's sometimes you're, you're an actor, you're a working actor, and you work and you do your job and you go home. And unless you're a huge, huge celebrity, and then, then you're bombarded, and that's the opposite extreme, which is really unpleasant because they have no privacy. You, you know, they don't, you're not really respected. Nobody really cares unless you're some huge celebrity. You know, they see you, they recognize you from this or that, 24, whatever shows I've been in. They're like, you know, whatever. But that experience in Hungary, I was adopted by this country, like I said, and they loved me, and, it, and I felt respected and appreciated. And it was a beautiful experience. And the first time I felt that in Los Angeles was at the fan club weekend where 500 fans were just kind and warm and appreciative. And I went, wow, you know, this is really nice. Where they really appreciate the story and the actors. And because we put our hearts into it. Every actor, every, you know, every member of the cast, the crew, the, the people, the technicals, you know, the people that do the sound, the music department, the writers, the wardrobe, every, everybody does 200%. They give 200%. Or 2,000% even, especially in today's day and age where soaps are a dying art form and, you know, people aren't watching as much television or they're watching more on the web, on the computer. It's, it's such a uh, changing and shifting industry. And I know everyone gives 2,000% on the show. And we, to know that people, we, we, you know, are appreciative and enjoy it, it's, it's heartwarming. It's so enjoyable. I'm so grateful for that, really, and to all the fans and all the listeners and all the people that have been supportive and loving and who watch a show, whether it's 50 years or they just turned on the TV for the first time. It's, it's really, we are all so grateful, and I hope all the fans know that. I think that's a great message for the fans and a great way for us to sort of get to the end of wrapping up the show because unfortunately we are out of time it's yeah. not a great accent not out of time <laughs> we are out of this almost out of time news, then. <laughs> where are the clamps you promised me the clamps we have some private time behind the scenes ah, very good <laughs> <laughs> we'll whip out the clamps then. Kathleen, I really want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your day, particularly from, you know, you know maybe doing some studying or days off. You know, it means a great deal that you were able to spend some time with us today. Oh, thank you for having me on and asking great questions and having guests on. It was really nice. I really appreciate it. You guys for are folks great. Who want to, for folks who want to keep up with you on social media, because I know that you love interacting with fans, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter, Kathleen Gatti. Look me up. It's at Gatti Tweets, G-A-T-I Tweets. Or just look up my name, Kathleen Gatti. And I'm also on Facebook. Watch General Hospital. You never hey, know. Dr. Obeck might show up. <laughs> absolutely. As, as Kathleen just said, you can check her out. As General Hospital's rascally Dr. Liesel Obrecht, weekdays on ABC. Please check your local listings for the time and channel in your area. If you missed any part of today's show or if you'd like to hear it again or maybe share it with a friend, you can head over to our official show page at SoapCentral.com slash radio. That is the place to find any and all Past episodes of Soap Central Live, each episode is available for free, on-demand listening or download. You can download it to a PC, an Apple, an Android, anywhere that you can connect to the Internet, you can listen to the show. And for those of you who keep track of such things, we are quickly approaching our year-end review shows, just seven weeks until we take a look back at the best of soaps in 2013, but there are still plenty of shows before then, starting with next week's show. So join us Friday, November 8th at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific for the continuing saga that we like to call Soap Central Live. Afita Sane. <laughs> Join us next time for the continuing story of all your favorite soaps. Tune in next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of Soap Central Live on the Voice America Variety Channel.